0: We're going to be looking at John chapter 7, verses 25 uh, through uh, 36 this morning. And so let's pray together and then we'll get right into our study. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts in uh, just some real practical ways this morning. And, and Lord, that you'd encourage us as we uh, live life uh, for God's glory and, uh, and that we experience your joy. Uh, in our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When we look at our text this morning, when John chapter 7, 25 through 36, when we look at our text, what we're going to see is three groups of people, three groups of people in our text. We're going to see the people that uh, live in Jerusalem. In other words, they live there, they raise their families there, uh, they work there. Uh, We're going to look at... uh, those people. The second group are the pilgrims. Pilgrims have been coming to celebrate this feast of Tabernacles or this feast of Booths, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. And then the third group of people uh, are the religious leaders uh, uh, that are uh, in conflict uh, with Jesus, and we're certainly going to see that conflict in our text this morning. All three of these groups of people uh, are struggling they 're struggling with uh, something within their heart that is applicable to 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 our lives today and what they 're struggling with is really change in their in, in their worldview and change within their religious kind of uh, view viewpoint and it what it's brought into their hearts is is an element of of conflict, what we could say. Uh, but, it, but when we boil it all down, it comes down to one word they're confused. And in their confusion, they respond, in the midst of their confusion, they respond in ways that doesn't bring forth faith, doesn't bring forth hope, it brings forth unbelief, and it brings forth more despair within their hearts. And there's, there's one thing about, say, this particular dynamic. It's true to all of our lives. All, all of us struggle from time to time with confusion. We don't know what to do. We're kind of caught in our own mindset, and it ends up not turning out that well for us. And so what I'd like to do this morning is work through our text, verse by verse, these few verses. It's a very, very simple very, very simple narrative, and then at the end, offer you four things to think about if you're experiencing confusion uh, in your life. So let's start with the text. Come with me to verse 25. It says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this man who, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be the authorities really know that this is the Christ. And so the pilgrims are coming in and they're they're confused. They've they've already experienced Jesus. Pose a question to you. How have the pilgrims already experienced Jesus? Well, Jesus had just fed what? How many thousand people? Just fed 5000 people, and that was only the men. And so the pilgrims have been experiencing Jesus and his miracles and his heart and his love and compassion. And so the pilgrims come into the Feast of Tabernacles, and they say, what is this? Why are they trying to kill him? What's the deal here? And there's confusion in their hearts. Come back to the text with me in verse 27. But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Second group of people are more kind of religiously astute. They live in Jerusalem. They know, if you were to look at John 6.42, they know this. Isn't, this. isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's boy? What is this guy talking about? He's gonna leave and he's gonna go and we're not gonna know, and and what's the deal here? And because they were somewhat religiously trained, their thought of the coming of the Messiah would be something like, say, Malachi chapter 3, that he would come on the scene like John the Baptist, that he would be unknown. He would just appear out of nowhere. From obscurity, he would come. Or one of the other Jewish uh, kind of lines of thinking is that when the Messiah came, John the the Baptist would come and lay hands on him, and then, voila, he would understand that he's the Messiah and receive the anointing from God. And so the people of Jerusalem, they're what? They're confused. The pilgrims, they've seen Jesus, and they're confused. The people of Jerusalem had experienced Jesus' miracle-working power. Remember in John chapter 5, there was this invalid that was an invalid. He was by the pool in Bethesda, and he had been an invalid for how many years? 38 years. And he is now walking around, and talking, and testifying, yet they're confused about Jesus' identity and Jesus' purpose. Come back to the text with me, verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed, it's better translated. I'm using the ESV. If you have a King James version, it's going to say, Jesus cried out. And over and over again in the Gospel of John, when Jesus wanted to call it his attention, uh, call the people's attention to an important teaching, he would cry out. He would say, Hey, come and listen. Uh, verily, 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 I say unto you. Uh, truly, 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 I say unto you. And so Jesus is crying out. He's proclaiming. Come back to the text with me, verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. Now, once again, I'm using the ESV and it doesn't quite get to the sense of the text. And so what I did is I took my pen and I put a question mark after that verse because it really is, when you look at it, it really is a question that Jesus is putting to the people of his day. He's saying, do you really know who I am? Do you really really think that I'm Jesus of Nazareth? And all through the Gospel of John, John uses irony to make his point. And the irony here is that they think they know who Jesus is. Oh, he's Jesus of Nazareth. But what does Micah 5 tell us about the promise of the coming of the Messiah? Where is the Messiah going to be born? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem. And so the irony here, the, 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 the people are saying, well, if, if we really knew where he was from, and we, and we do, but if we really knew where he was thump, uh, from, we would probably believe. And the sad part about this is that they're confused. And when you're confused, you don't do your research. You don't seek out truth. You stay where? You stay in the emotions that surround confusion and you stay stuck. And these people, all these, these pilgrims that have come and the people of Jerusalem, they're stuck. Because if you looked at Deuteronomy 4.29 and if you looked at Jeremiah 29.13, there's a promise. And the promise is this from the Lord. If you seek me, if you seek me with all your heart, you will what? You will find me. And so in the midst of a confused state, they don't exercise a basic truth that will help them move out of that confused state. They choose to stay locked in that emotion. See, confusion is, it's pretty rampant in our culture today, isn't it? To give a little cultural critique. Our culture is confused because we're, we, when we came into COVID, it was a new thing and we were confused. We didn't know what to do or how to be safe. And now that we're coming out of COVID, what are we? We're confused. We don't know quite what to do. We don't know what will keep us safe. And so there's this constant ebb and flow in our culture, contemporary culture, of confusion. And our political leaders, this, I am so apolitical, believe me. But our political leaders, they're not helping, are they? On one talk show, and it's probably happening right now, On one talk show, the head of the CDC is going to say one thing, right? And tomorrow morning when he's on Fox and Friends, he's going to say what? He's going to say another thing. And there's this constant confusion that's being sown into our hearts. And these people are in that, that fog of confusion and can't find their way out. Come back to the narrative with me. So Jesus says, But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And Jesus is drawing their heart, in a sense, by offending their heart. He's saying, You really don't know who I am. You say you do, but you don't. And there's a prick of the heart there And rather than responding to that conviction, they do what? They don't respond. They stay trapped in the fog of confusion. Come back to the text with me, and Jesus goes on, verse 29. I know him, for I come from him. He's reiterating what we've looked at for the past couple of weeks. I know him, for I come from him, and and the Father here sent me. So they were... Seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And we shift now to that third group of people, uh, to the religious leaders who are so threatened by their loss of power and control, it throws them into a state of confusion. Come back to the text, verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, Will he do more signs than this man has done? And we're back to the pilgrims here. And they're saying, look, what more can he do? He heals the sick. He feeds 10,000 people. He walks on water. I mean, what, what more can you expect? And they're questioning, back to the text and back to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, these things, and they simply kind of flip out, in a sense, and say, oh no, this can't continue. He's influencing, this Jesus rabbi is influencing the people, and we need to take action. Come back to the text. And so they sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me where I am. You, know, you cannot come. Now, we read this text from the other side of Pentecost, the other side of Jesus' ministry, his ascension. We live with the blessed hope in our heart of his second coming. Yeah, but these people, this was like, What? What are you saying? Back to the text. Verse 35. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? And what we can see embedded in the text here is that the gospel will go into the whole world. And the way the gospel had a platform to go into the whole world is wherever the Jews went in Greek cities they established a what? They established a synagogue. And so every major city where 10 Jewish men gathered they established a synagogue who the apostle Paul would use as the launching pad to proclaim the gospel to the whole world. One last verse and then we'll give you some things to think about. What does Jesus mean by saying? And once again, they confess their confusion and their inability to figure things out. Trapped in a fog, they simply repeat what Jesus says. What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Part of the thing that trapped them is they didn't really step out of that fog and seek after God. Seek Him in His Word. Seek to know Him. All of us will find ourselves in a confused state from time to time. You're just finishing up high school. Maybe you're Maybe you're a junior in high school and you're trying to figure out, and what should I do with my life? Or maybe you're a senior in college and you're saying, and I took on this amount of debt to do what? Or you find yourself... (laughs) Poor Gavin, my son-in-law. I had two kids... And my wife has just told me, if you don't know, this is great. You have two, Gavin's, and I have two kids. And my wife has just said, after 11 years of marriage, we're going to have twins. What is happening in my life? <laughs> now you're older in life and, and you thought, this is where you would be, but you're in this place and and you're wondering like how did I get here? We'll all find ourselves at that place where changes and transitions happen. There's a great book by Henry Cloud it's called Necessary Endings. And part about life, and I'll give you the thesis of the book, Andrew Cloud says this, for something new to happen in your life, for you to come to the point where you will grow again in your life, something has to what? The answer is in the title of the book. Something has to end so something can begin. And so the first principle I want to share that I walk in is simply this, acknowledge, acknowledge, and accept that changes and transitions are part of life and they do cause confusion. And if you can come to that place of accepting and acknowledging that you're you're confused, you can, you can take the next couple steps. The second step, after you kind of say, yeah, this is just life, in other words, as a church, you know, there's confusion when COVID hit. <laughs> there's confusion now that the mandates have been lifted, right? well, where am I going to sit? Should I wear a mask? Should I not? There's a fair level of confusion which causes a fair level of anxiety. And if we can just come to the place and say, look, this is just part of the journey. It's it's all it is. It's just life. So take... uh oh." This this is free, it's not part of the notes, but come to the end of John chapter 7. You see Nicodemus here, John chapter 7, verse 50, 51, and 52. You see Nicodemus's, and we'll get to this next time, but you see Nicodemus in the in the place of confusion. And what does Nicodemus do? Nicodemus does this. He takes a deep breath and he says, Wait a minute, boys. And then he quotes. The scripture. And he arrives at a point of reflection. Point two. When you're confused. Continue to do what is right. Continue to do what is godly. Continue to practice the spiritual disciplines. In other words, prayer and reading the word. And fellowshipping with God's people. Because when you're in the midst of confusion. Confusion you tend to withdraw from the Lord rather than seeking after him. And if you practice the spiritual disciplines, you're going to nurture your heart in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God, and that God has a plan. You just don't see it yet. One verse of Scripture, or two verses, that I would suggest that you memorize it helps in the midst of confusion, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you might have it already memorized, but if you don't, it's a good antidote. It's a good remedy. It's a good intervention when you're confused in your life. Trust kind of goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Next phrase. Lean not. On your own understanding. Next phrase. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, trust Him. And what's the promise? He will direct your path. Confusion doesn't exist forever. It seems that way. Poor Gavin. Confusion doesn't exist forever. So do what's right, and don't do something stupid. Don't use confusion as the opportunity to sin. You'll just make it worse. Trust in the Lord, all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. There's two other verses, Psalm 119, verse 34, and Psalm 119, 169, two prayers. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. When you're in the midst of confusion, it's helpful to say, yep, here I am. I don't know what to do." It relieves the pressure. And then to practice the spiritual disciplines, to do what you know is right. Some, have quite a few military people uh, in the church here. Do you remember general orders? General orders are there for when you're confused. General order number one, if I have it right, if I can remember that long ago, is I will not leave my post until I am what? Until I'm properly relieved. The Bible are our general orders. And when we're confused, follow God's word and do what's right. Two other things I can suggest to you. delay decision-making. Say... If you're confused, push it off. Like how many things in life really have to be decided today, right now? How many many things? Well, not many. And if you can delay it and push it off and seek the Lord, your confusion, at some point, you're going to get clarity. And so push those decisions off. And finally, Proverbs 11.14, Proverbs 15.22, Proverbs 24.6, fill in the blank. In the multitude of counselors, there is what? There's safety. There's security. And if you're confused and you're doing the right thing and you're putting off the decisions and you're still confused... Then pick up the call. Pick up the phone, and give me a call, or talk to your spouse. That's what I do. It's helpful. I'm married to a therapist. It's one of the benefits, you know. And when I'm confused, I go and talk to Nancy. And I, I with with all that's within me, I I try to get out what's deep in my heart what's really motivating me, what's really my fear without trying to manage it just to get it out. And if you do that, just that one step often brings clarity. All of us are going to be confused from time to time. And so my encouragement to you is to understand it's just life it is just part of life but keep on doing keep on doing what is right practice those spiritual disciplines delay decisions and seek out some godly counsel to help you and if you do that that confusion that confusion is going to dissipate and you're going to get clarity and you're going to keep on walking in a way that brings forth God's good plan in your life and in the people you love. Can you say amen? Let's prepare our hearts uh, to receive the Lord's table this morning.